You're listening to RazorCast, USA's hottest podcast, bringing you cutting-edge interviews from leading industry professionals. Hello, everyone. This is Liz Harvey coming to you from our studios in New York City, where we are dedicated to bringing you top-quality advice from many of the leading expert professionals across the U.S. In today's episode, we are speaking with Dr. Warren J. Blyweiss, a leader in the United States in the emerging medical field of oxygen ozone injection therapy for the treatment of herniated discs, joint and muscle pain, and injuries. Dr. Blyweiss pioneered oxygen ozone disc injection therapy in the U.S. He is a graduate of New York University School of Medicine and is board certified in both anesthesiology and pain management. His long list of accomplishments includes leadership experience as a hospital anesthesiology department director, the inventor of a patented medical device, and the founder of one of the first multidisciplinary pain management centers in New Jersey. He has been successfully treating patients for over 30 years. Dr. Blyway specializes in minimally invasive alternative treatments that heal patients without surgery or potentially harmful medications. His treatment protocols are specifically designed to activate the body's innate ability to recover and regenerate. His practice has been producing excellent results by utilizing these alternative methods. Today we are sharing some examples of patients who came to see Dr. Blyweiss specifically for ozone injection therapy, but received different treatments with great results. Dr. Blyweiss always does a thorough examination and review of a patient's history and will sometimes recommend an alternative treatment based on the patient's conditions. His goal is to provide pain relief for a patient based on his or her specific needs. So hello, Dr. Blyweiss. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you. Well, thanks again for joining me. So when you see a new patient for the first time, what is involved in the initial examination and review of their history? All right. Well, it's, it's very important to listen to the patient and observe the patient uh, and ask specific guided questions. Now, when I say observe, I'm not talking about the physical examination portion uh, of the interview. I'm talking about the uh, while I'm taking the history. So, for example, even when the patient walks in the room, uh, I observe, I'm observing the way they, they gait is, uh, the way they sit, uh, if they're favoring one limb, for example. So that's very important. And at, during the history, it's, it's important to ask specific guided questions. So, for example, if someone has low back pain that goes down the leg, I mean, that obviously everybody's, every physician is going to ask uh, about numbness and weakness and other questions. But I find it very important to ask very specific questions about the pain. Like, for example, how far does it go down the leg? Does it go below the knee? If it goes below the knee, what percentage of time does it go below the knee? Does it often go below the knee? Does it rarely go below the knee? Is there any component of groin pain? Uh, there, are, there are specific questions that will key me into the cause of their pathology. Um, after that, I perform a guided physical examination based on their condition. Uh, like, for example, if their condition is in their back and they're 
and they're going down their leg, I'm not going to spend a huge amount of time examining the shoulders or the eyes or the ears or other things. Uh, that would be a waste of time. Uh, I, I want to focus my energies on the problem at hand. Um, once I do that, that's the, then after that I look at the tests. I do not look at the tests, the results, and the, uh, the films before I, I do my history and physical examination because I don't want to have any predetermined uh, uh, ideas of what's causing their problem. All right, and the reason why I do this is we know that there are a lot of things that show up on MRIs and X-rays that aren't causing a patient's problem. Uh, for example, if you take a thousand patients, I'm just I'm not giving, I'm not going to use the exact numbers, but there have been multiple studies that have been performed uh, related to this issue. So if you take a thousand patients who have zero pain. They have no back pain. They have no leg pain. They're, if you ask them if they have pain, they say no. They're healthy. They do everything they want. They're young. And you do MRIs on those 1,000 people, you're going to find disc herniations on approximately 200 of them. And they didn't even know they had that. And so what if, some, what if one of those patients gets back pain? And they had a disc herniation for five years. They didn't even know. And then you do an MRI and you see the disc herniation. Well, is that disc herniation really causing their back pain or is it something else? This is what I uh, figure out while I'm doing the history and physical examination. Um, we also know that a lot of herniated discs aren't painful from discography studies, which I don't want to go into too much detail on discography, but it's basically pressurizing the disc with contrast and determining whether it's causing a patient's pain. So we know that that many of the herniated discs in patients with back pain aren't the source of the pain. Uh, and then once I, once I do my history, my physical exam, and look at all the the uh, studies, um, I analyze in my mind in a logical and succinct manner uh, what is a likely cause of their pain. And sometimes it's very obvious. It's, it's really obvious. And sometimes it's not obvious, in which case I might come up with a diff what we call differential diagnosis and assign a probability to what may be causing the pain. So I might be, for example, 80% sure that the disc is causing the pain, but I might think that there's a, a, a probability that it's a facet, uh, which is a joint of the spine issue. And that's really, if that's the case, then... I'll investigate the facet, which is very easy to determine if it's causing the pain. You could just block the nerve to the facet uh, until I'm 100% sure or 99% sure that the disc is the cause of the pain and then treat that. Okay. And besides oxygen ozone injection therapy, what other alternative treatment modalities do you practice? Okay, honestly, we practice regenerative medicine, uh, such as stem cells. Everybody's heard of stem cells. Uh, there's placental growth factors. There are, there are things called exosomes, which are small vacuoles that carry pieces of messenger RNA, for example. 
Um, but I also uh, practice something called A2M, which is alpha-2 macroglobulin. Alpha-2 macroglobulin is a large protein that's made in the, in the liver, and it's our body's natural defense against proteases, which are enzymes that can destroy cartilage or discs. And when those proteases, which are normally seen, they're found in the body, are out of balance in a joint or a disc, they could actually uh, cause destruction of that joint or disc over time. And A2M completely stops the activity of the, the destructive activity of those proteases. And what's great about A2M is that there's a test that you could perform. It's called a FAC test. And uh, it's sent out to a, an independent laboratory. And, and what I do is lavage the joint or the disc with saline and send it out. And if that's positive, there's a very, very high chance that the A2M will solve the problem. And the real importance of A2M is, for, in my mind, is that it, it prepares the the structure, whether it's a disc or a joint, for other regenerative treatments and makes it more likely for them to work. Now, A2M has regenerative properties on its own. It does have, it does have uh, binding sites for, um, for molecules that help cause regenerate, you know, result in, the, in regeneration. But one thing that a lot of people don't think of is that the process that uh, has led to the degeneration, whether it's a disc or joint, may still be active at the time of a regenerative procedure. So let's say you have a degenerative disc or someone has a degenerative disc or a degenerative joint and they're going to have a stem cell treatment. Well, if they have an out-of-control destructive protease problem in the joint or the disc that led to the destruction in the first place and it's still present, then the injecting the cells into that disc or joint is not going to be good at that time because they're going to have less of a chance of surviving and thriving. So it's very important to put out the fire before you do the treatment. Okay. And if a patient came to you specifically for ozone injection therapy, what are some reasons why you would determine not to perform it? Okay, so there are two main reasons. The first is if I don't think that there's a significant chance that it will help. Okay, that, that's the first thing. Now, I did mention in a previous interview that um, I had patients early on in treatment that would that came to me uh, if someone wants to read the story of Dr. Mike M uh, where they had severe degeneration and I didn't think the procedure was likely to work and it did. I'm not talking about a patient like that. After that experience and after other positive experiences, I don't see a downside to inject a joint that's very degenerative uh, because there's a there's a chance that it could work and work for a long time and have really dramatic results. I'm talking about, for example, a patient comes to me 
for ozone injection of a disc, and I examine the disc, uh, and the MRI, for example, shows severe degeneration, and there's spinal stenosis and other things that have developed over the years. And if spinal stenosis has a large, a significant bony encroachment problem, I know for a fact that ozone is not going to solve that issue because once the bone grows around and narrows the canal, the ozone's not going to take the bone away. So uh, that's a good example of why I, w- I would not do the ozone. I may recommend something else, uh, but I'm not going to do the ozone for that. Now, the other, the other reason is that if I discover that there's a pain coming from another issue, uh, another source of the pain other than what the patient thought or the, or the referring doctor thought the problem was. So the goal is to help the patient with whatever is best for their specific condition. So one of the things that I do is I determine what their pain source is. And uh, I'm going to use the example of another uh, patient story, which is Susanna B., and um, she came to me for an ozone disc injection. Now, I had treated her son approximately five years earlier for an ozone disc injection, and he did extremely well with only one treatment. And Susanna was in a car accident, and she had severe back pain, and she tried everything. It didn't help. And I, I don't have her chart in front of me, but I, I remember most of the details. And she went to two uh, orthopedic spine surgeons, and they both recommended spine surgery. Um, so she didn't want spine surgery, and she came to me for specifically for ozone disc injections. And I did my due diligence. We talked about the history and the and the physical exam, and I determined that her problem was most likely from her hip. And when I talked about the history and I talked about it's very important to to ask questions about the pain pattern, um, this is a very good example. So this is somebody who had low back pain and the pain was going down her leg, and she did have disc issues, but she clearly the pain was clearly coming from her hip. And various things just in the history, aside from the fact uh, that I observed the way she walked when she came in because there's a specific gait that is common in patients with hip issues. Um, But I asked her my guided questions, and she had a lot of groin pain, which is very typical with hip pain because the ball and socket joint of the hip is in the groin area. And the pain didn't radiate below her knee. It never radiated below her knee. And then when I examined her, my physical exam was most consistent with hip issues. So her hip was never um, looked at uh, with any x-rays or MRIs. Also, I just have to take a step back. The mechanism of the injury, she was... She saw the accident coming. It was an accident from behind, and she saw it in her rearview mirror, I believe, and she had her foot on the brake. Now, that creates a lot of shock going up to the hip. So there were many things that cued me into looking at the hip. So we did an X-ray. There was a lot of degeneration. We did an MRI, and she had 
really, really bad hip issues. And uh, to confirm it was the source of her problem, I did uh, a diagnostic block. So I did under fluoroscopic guidance, I injected a very long-acting local anesthetic and a steroid, and uh, she had temporary, significant temporary improvement, then it came back. So I sent her for a hip replacement, and she did great. Uh, you might ask, someone might think, uh, well, why not try ozone on the hip? This is an example of really bad pathology. It wasn't just the generation. I, like I said, I don't have her chart in front of me, but there were things going on inside her hip on the MRI that I knew were not going to be solved by ozone. Um, so this is a good example of somebody that was diagnosed by two other physicians that she needed back surgery, and it turns out that it was her hip, and she did very well. And if she had the back surgery, she would have been very unhappy. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Blyweiss. We know you're busy, so I just want to thank you for all of your time and your help today. You're welcome. And for our listeners across the country, if you are interested in speaking with the doctor, please visit www.alternativediscotherapy.com or call 973-403-3334 to schedule an appointment. And on behalf of our team, we want to thank you for listening, and we look forward to bringing you more top-quality content from our country's leading experts. You've been listening to... RazorCast, USA's hottest podcast, bringing you cutting-edge interviews from leading industry professionals.